we've been going over our vision and values of the church. And the reason we're doing this is we want to communicate why we're here at a church and what we believe is important. Now, all churches pretty much have the same mission and so forth, but each church um, does it in a unique way that are unique to the gifts of this people and unique to the, you know, the visions and the pa- passions of the pastor. So I'm not saying that we're better than other churches. I'm just saying this is what, you know, we will emphasize here at Mission Valley. So we're all on the same page. But even though you're new, even though, you know, you're just visiting, I think these things do apply to all of us. So I hope that you could all glean from something. But if you take a look at Um, our um, values and what we're going through, we see it's our DNA of connect, care, call, and courage. And when you go to the uh, next slide, I talked about um, what's the uh, vision or value connect. And our definition is joining people together to experience God. Well, we want all of us to connect with one another or connect with other people outside the church for what? The purpose of experiencing God. Not just to have a great time, not just to be talking about sports or jobs or things like that, which are important, but we want people to have an experience with God too. And we talked about, last week we talked about care, looking for and meeting the needs of others. Meaning as a church body, we value care. Meaning, and it's not just waiting to hear about something that happens to somebody, but it's actually being more proactive. It's looking for needs of people rather than them having to ask you. We want to be proactive with that. And so that's why we have looking for and meeting the needs of others. And like I said, our values are kind of like guide rails on the road. Right, So whenever you drive on the road, especially in the mountains, you see these guardrails. And what they do is they say, as long as you drive on the street, you're good. But if you go outside these guardrails, you're operating in an area where you shouldn't be driving. And that's the same thing for us. These are our guardrails. So if we're not connecting and if we don't have a culture of care here, what that tells us as a church, that we are not operating in the way that, you know, we want to operate. And so today's uh, value is um, call. So if you could uh, go to the next slide. It's discovering God's unique purposes in our life. Now, this was an interesting week, right? You know, because we had the midterms. But one of the um, things that just amazed me was the lottery, right? A $2 billion lottery. Isn't that insane? That one person in Altadena won $2 billion. I don't know if any one of you bought a lottery ticket. Lottery ticket. I don't need to know. Um, but, I, you know, I was thinking, what would I do with $2 billion? You know, my old self would say, oh, man, I'm going to buy a private jet. You know, I'm going to get these mansions. I'm going to get, you know, the best mansion here in Southern California. I definitely would get a yacht. I would definitely get a fishing boat, you know, a big, not not those little aluminum ones, those big fishing boats for myself, you know, maybe a fleet of cars, you know, and I would still have so much money left over if I bought all of those things, right? You know, all the clothes you want. I said, what would I do with $2 billion? But now as I thought about it today, where I'm at right now in my life, I'd say, well, you know what? I'd probably repair my house. You know, 
And there was no desire in me to buy this huge house, even though I had the money. It was just, I want to repair my house. Well, I would replace my 15-year-old car, and not with a, um, uh, a Mercedes or anything that's a $100,000 car. It would just be like a, a normal car. I would help friends and family. But most of all, I would use that money to contribute to the kingdom of God. That's what I would do with the money. My values have changed. Why? Because I'm no longer that same person that I was. And so the question when it comes to call, what drives you? If, you know, I'm glad we've got a lot of young people here today, but if I was to ask you this question, what drives you? What drives your dreams? What drives your hopes? What drives what you want to accomplish in this world? What is that? Right, And, you know, I've read this, uh, a portion of this at, you know, memorial services, and some of you have heard this, but, you know, Steve Jobs wrote this, you know, article about himself as he was facing the end of his life. And he was only in his mid-50s when he passed away, and he was worth about um, $10 billion, which I can't even imagine what $10 billion is or how you would even use you know, $10 billion. But this is what he said. He said, I've reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. And I think most people, when you look at Steve Jobs' life, you look at what he's accomplished, how much, uh, you know, money he's earned in his lifetime, $10.2 billion. Most people would say, man, yes, he was a success. But this is what he says. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I'm accustomed to. He said outside work, putting that grind in, earning money. He said outside that, his life had no joy. And he said, wealth is a fact that I am accustomed to. It's only a fact that he's accustomed to. Now, I don't know how you become accustomed with $10 billion, but for him, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I just, okay, it is what it is. I've come, become accustomed to that. There was no joy. There was no happiness in any of that. You know, and then what he said, um, now I know, and this is only at the end of his life, that when we have accumulated sufficient wealth to last our lifetime, now, in his case, to last thousands of lifetimes, right? We should pursue other matters that are unrelated to wealth. It should be something that is more important, perhaps relationships, perhaps art, perhaps a dream from younger days. And so what he's saying is he should have spent time investing in things that are more important. And in, our, in, the, in the Christian context, what is that which is more important? It's the mission of God, right? And he's only learned this at the end of um, his life. And, you know, for us, it's living out your unique calling in God's epic story of what he has been, what he is currently doing, and what he will be doing on his planet. And so we took a look at um, 
care, which is discovering God's unique purpose in our lives. And if you really want to find joy in your life, if you really want satisfaction in your life, it's got to be discovering God's purposes in your life. Now, for those of you who are young, and especially for those of you who are here and here are in college, trying to figure out what you want to do, right? You know, in your mind, you say, you know what? I do want to accomplish God's purpose in my life. I want to live God's unique purpose in my life. So that's here. But then what do we have? We have competing values. And what are those values? Money. You know, I'd like to have a six-figure income. Or it could be parents. Well, I, I feel God's calling me to do this, but my parents want me to do this, right? And so these are competing values. You know, but discovering God's purpose, unique purpose in your life, this is so important to experience joy in your life. And this is something I'm glad we are a multi-generational church because this is where, you know, you young folks could learn from guys like me who are on the tail end of my career and said, you know what, if I was to do it all over again, this is what I would have done. Learn from the mistakes that I made. And one thing that I, there are several things I wished I could have done when I was younger. The first one was to do a better job at investing in my financial future. You know, because my dad, you know, finances wasn't his thing. So he never taught us that. He never talked about investing or, or retirement. You know, fortunately, you know, we started doing that. But I guarantee you, when you start investing financially or your retirement later on, midlife like I did, it's much more expensive, right? It's much more expensive. You know, so if I was to do it over again, I would have started those things earlier instead of spending money on clothing, on, on material things, which I did. You know, and those things are all gone. And I said, what a waste, what a waste. And now that I'm trying to um, uh, put away money for retirement, the older you get, the more expensive it gets to start younger. The second thing and the most important thing is learning how God uniquely created me. You know, if you know your unique purpose in life, it makes your life so much easier. It makes your choices so much easier. And I found this out when I was in my mid-30s, right? And I know that most of you know this story, but when I was trying to figure out, okay, where am I supposed to go? God, what are you supposed to do? I was always looking towards the future. So what kind of job could I get? Oh, God, what do you want me to do? But I realized that my calling was not looking toward the future, but looking in my past is what brought me joy. What brought me joy? And and as I've shared before, I looked at all of the things that I was involved in, school, church activities, work, um, you know, relationships, you know, volunteering different places. I looked at what gave me joy when I was doing those things. And as I was looking through the thread, you know what it was? It was serving people. It was serving people. I found out that God has called me uniquely to serve people. So when I was serving people, that energized me. When I was serving people, that brought joy. But that was not only in church. That was also in the workplace, 
right? And so for those of you who didn't know, before I was a pastor, I was uh, customer service. I was in management at uh, LAX, you know, for Continental Airlines. You know, I worked at the airport. I worked at the ticket counter. I managed the ticket counter, the gate area, and baggage service. But you know what? The biggest joy I found was helping people. Man, I must have been yelled at or cussed at at least 20,000 times, you know, over my uh, tenure at Continental, right? Because granted, it's nothing like it was today. It is today. Today, it is crazy at airports, right? But you know what? Even though I was yelled at, even though I was cussed at, there was just joy there. Why? Because I was serving people. Some of the best, my best memories were when I would get a single mother and she would be late for a plane, right? And she would have three kids and I said, okay, let's go. I would strap her bags on and we'd be running down the concourse to make sure that she got her, um, that she and her family got on the plane. It was serving people. But the problem is that I didn't realize that to my mid-30s. So what was I chasing before that? Well, what was my major? It was marketing. Why? Because I thought when I was in college, I thought I could make money in business. You know, I got D's in accounting, so it couldn't be accounting. Finances, I, I couldn't understand that, right? Economics, I go, okay, no, no definitely not economics. So marketing was the only thing I could choose, right? I was horrible at marketing, but I just thought it would be what? I can make some money. And so the jobs I took, the positions I took, had everything about making money, not about how God gifted me. Right? And a lot of those, money, those, those positions that paid well, um, had a lot of, they were administratively heavy. Which those of you who know, I am a horrible administrator, right? And I would do those jobs, and I could do it, but it just sucked the life out of me. I wasn't happy. So when I figured out uh, I was created to serve, that made my decisions so much easier. If I knew that earlier, I would have picked a career or opportunities that allowed me to serve people. And yes, there is, if you go into, if you serve people, you're probably not going to make as much money as the next guy, but I found that when I'm doing it, I'm happy. When I was just doing something for the money, I was miserable. I was miserable, and it was slowly, slowly draining the life out of me. So this is why it's so important to discover God's purpose in your life, something that I learned, and I hope that you uh, young people could learn right now. I guarantee you it'll make your choices so much easier, right? And parents, you know, I can't encourage you more as you raise your children, raise them in areas that you see God has gifted them. Raise them and push them in ways where you see, ah, I could see God gifting you. I could see that maybe this is God's plan for you rather than your own dreams for your children or you want to live vicariously through the lives of your children. Look at what God, God has a plan for them and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Your job as a parent is to try to identify that. What is God doing with my child? What can I see God doing with my child? Where is he gifted? And point them in that direction. But as we start this, our calling, it says your call starts with God and not you. And this is really important. Because a lot of us think, what? 
We think our calling is all about us, that I know myself, I know myself better than anybody else. I could make these decisions for myself, right? Well, there's somebody that knows infinitely much better than you what you would be happy at, what you would be good at, and that's God. So as you look at your calling, as you think, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? It has to start with God and not you. You know, in Psalms 136, 139, 16, the psalmist writes, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You know, I love this because it's, you know, the psalmist is talking about when we were in our mother's room, God was there. You know, he was pouring his gifts. He was pouring his passions into all. He was uh, pouring into the skills that you would have into all of us, right? But he also says that not only does his plan include our gifts, there's an exact number of days on this earth that we will all live, and there's nothing we could do to change that, right? There's nothing we could do to change that. And for those of us, that should give us, you know, encouragement, Right? Because that means that we are invincible here on earth until the day God calls us home. Because our days here on earth are numbered. And God has numbered those days. He knows exactly the point when we will pass on from this life to the next. And there's nothing we could do about it. So that should encourage us to say, you know, when we're afraid of something, and say, hey, you know what? God has my days numbered. And when, my, when that day comes... Oh, it comes, but before then, I am invincible. Nothing or nobody can change that, right? He also says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And this is the prophet Jeremiah. What does he say? Before I formed you in the room, I knew you. You know, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before he was even born. He what? He had a plan for Jeremiah. He had Jeremiah's career path already planned. Now, granted, it was a hard plan. If you read the book of Jeremiah, he didn't have an easy life. So just because God has a plan for you doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And we see that in Jeremiah. However, Jeremiah fulfilled God's calling in his life. And it's out of that comes satisfaction, right? God ordained Jeremiah to be a prophet before he was even born, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I know this was, you know, God was directing this to the nation of Israel, but I think there's enough in Scripture to support that. This God is talking, you know, there are other passages of Scripture where this principle is in force, that God has plans for us, what? To prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give you hope and a future. But what he says, for I know the plans I have for you. It doesn't say, for I know the plans that you have for yourself. So this is where we, when it comes, do you trust God enough? Do you and I trust God enough that he has a plan for us? But that plan for us is to prosper us and not to harm us. 
You know, how many times do we think, you know what, God, if I place my trust in you, you're going to make my life miserable, right? I'm going to be a failure. It's going to be too hard. But what does he say here? He says, the plans I have for you are not to harm you, but that they give you hope and a future. God is the one who designs the best plans for our lives and not us. This is why we need to trust God for his plans in our life and not rely on our own um, intuition and our own skill sets, right? And then finally, you are called to be like Christ. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to be like his son. You know, 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and called us to what? Live a holy life. In other words, to live like his son. He did this not because we deserved this, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. So what is the passage here? You and I were called to be like Christ. We are called to be more like Christ and not who we want to become. Because I know that we all have dreams for our lives. I knew when I was younger, I had dreams for my life. I had goals I wanted to achieve. I had material things that I wanted to acquire. And I, I could, you know, I've showed, told you this before, but none of them came true. None of them came true. All the things I wanted, I didn't get. But you know what? God replaced that with his plan. And his plan for me was better than anything I could imagine. You know, it hasn't been easy, but following God's plan for my life, asking God, what do you want? And hearing from other people saying, Dave, I see this in you. And saying, okay, God, you want me to go into ministry? That, that's crazy, right? That's crazy, you know, I was put on academic probation when I was at Cal State Long Beach. I said, there's no way I could survive a master's program. You know, I was so afraid of flunking out, right? And then I looked at, you know, my previous pastors and how they lived financially. Like, oh, God, I don't want that. You know? And so I played Jonah for a while. But you know what? You know, after God said, Dave, are you, are you ready to follow my plan, you know? And, it, and he brought me to the point where following my plan was definitely no fun at all. So he brought me to the point, okay, Dave, you've done it your way. Are you ready to do it my way? And I said, well, God, Continental's going bankrupt. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have another job. If I'm going to have a job. Okay, I'll go and follow you, Right? But I followed God, and that was the best decision of my life. Like I said, it hasn't been easy. But God's plans for each one of you, and I promise you this, and you're just going to have to trust me, and you're going to have to trust God that whatever you plan for your life can't even compare to what God has planned for you. You can't even compare. The problem is we have to trust God. We have to trust God and say, you know what, God, okay, I don't see how this is going to work. You know, God, I've got a lot of debt, and you want me to become a pastor? You know, God, my salary is going to shrink a lot. How am I going to pay this off? I said, God, who's going to want to marry a pastor? You know? 
look, I did it. He gave me a wonderful and beautiful wife, which, you know, I'm so happy about, right? Because I was so scared that I was just going to be a single pastor the rest of my life. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, a single. But for me, that was one of my big fears in life, that number one, I'd be broken single, right? <laughs> but I'd be a pastor, you know, like I said, those things aren't in, in, in itself wrong, but those things were just my fears, my personal fears. But when you choose to follow God, man, he takes care of you. He really does. And finally, we were, call, we were called to serve God. It says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What are the good things he planned for us? Well, to serve him, to serve him. Each one of us, he planned long before we were born that we were to what? Serve him. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Did you know that each one of us who are believers are what? We're royal priests. And what do royal priests do? They serve the king. They carry out the king's wishes. And so as royal priests, that's what we are called to do, right? And if you're not doing this, if you're doing your own thing, right, you're not going to feel the joy of the Lord. You're going to feel that life is just draining for you. And when you come to the point where, you know, my life's not working now, what's going on? It might be that. It might be that God is calling you to do this, but, hey, we want to do our own thing. The word holy, all it means is separate or to be set apart. Each one of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, you are what? You are set apart to do the will of God. You were set apart to serve God. We have to have that in our mindset. And finally, you are called to a mission. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all, I've, all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you to the end, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So God has placed us on this mission to make disciples. And so why is this so important? Well, we have to take a look at the context of history. We can't just take what is God doing in the midst of our lives. Because if you go back to the beginning, God created humans to what? To live in a relationship with him, to rule and take care of the earth. That's why we were created, right? To be in this loving relationship with God. But we know that Adam and Eve sinned and they messed that up. And that, both, that resulted in both physical and spiritual death. And ever since that, God's grand plan was to save mankind and restore the fellowship that he had with man in the Garden of Eden. And see, this is why as believers, we know we have that now right? God has restored us, but we only see what he intended in part. One day, one day in heaven, we'll experience what the Garden of Eden was, we, was supposed to experience there. Right now, we just get a glimpse. 
But he set off this plan. You know, in Genesis, we see the first prophecy to the coming Messiah when he says, I will, after Adam and Eve sinned, and this is a curse he placed on Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right? What he's saying here that, okay, Satan will strike your heel. That the Messiah, or Jesus, would be executed on the cross. However, Jesus would crush the head of Satan by what? Jesus would defeat Satan on the cross also. That salvation would come through this to the people on earth through uh, Jesus Christ, right? And so what's Satan's goal from the beginning? Number one, to mess up whatever God wants. But after Adam and Eve sinned, is that he knows that he's going to the lake of fire for all eternity. And he wants to take as many people with him as he possibly can. However, God's plan was to save as many as he can through what? Faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, we see this in the calling of Abraham. It says, all peoples of the world will be blessed by you because the Messiah... It says, I'm sorry, it says all peoples of the world will be blessed through you. And this is the promise God made Abraham. And what was that promise? Well, the promise was that there were, out of you would become a descendant, the Messiah who would save the people from their sins. Therefore, if you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is always pointing what? To who? To Jesus Christ. And if you take a look at the New Testament, it's pointing back to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Second right? uh, Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. That's our mission. That's the great commission. To what? Be a part of reconciling people back to God. So you're starting to see what is really important to God. It's, it's people. It's a salvation of people. This is why Jesus came to this earth, right? To save us from our sins. And we see that in the Christmas theme that's coming up, right? The salvation of mankind. Because what? God knows our lives on this earth are so temporal. But life after death is what? It's eternal, in Ezekiel 3, 17 through 19, and we're going to um, conclude with this. It says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the family of Israel. Whenever you hear me say something, warn them for me. If I say to the wicked, you are going to die, and you don't sound the alarm warning them that it is a matter of life or death, they will die, and it will be your fault. I hold you responsible. But if you warn the wicked and keep right, and they keep right on sinning anyway, they will most certainly die for their sin, but you won't die. You have saved your life. And so, what's God telling Ezekiel here? You know, this is during a period where um, Israel or, or Judah was rebelling against God. And he sent Ezekiel to warn them. Right, And if you don't stop your rebelling, then there are consequences. But he tells Ezekiel, you know, if you don't tell them and they um, 
keep rebelling against me and they die, I hold you accountable for that. I hold you accountable for that. Why? Because even in the midst of Israel's rebellion, God still loved them. God wanted to bring them back to repentance because people are so important to them. Their salvation was so important to them. He warned Ezekiel, you better take this seriously because if you don't tell them, I'm going to hold you responsible for that. Now, obviously, that was, you know, the way God worked in the Old Testament, and he doesn't do that today because now we have the Holy Spirit to speak for us. But there is a lesson there that God wants us to share the gospel message to people, right? Whether they obey or whether they receive it or not, that's up to the Holy Spirit. But what are, what's our mission? At least to go tell people about the gospel message. You know, in Second Peter 3, 9, it says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for you. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Once again, this is God's mission. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. This is why he's waiting to, before his son Jesus Christ comes back. That was his goal from the beginning, and we see that throughout history and even today. That's God's mission. That's our mission, to be a part of that. And so how do we do that? Well, we talked about that. That's BLESS, right? Practicing BLESS, that acronym BLESS. And what does that mean? Well, begin with prayer. Are there people in your life that you want to see uh, come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Start praying for them. You know, pray for them every single day. Pray that the Holy Spirit would start working in their lives. Pray that the Holy Spirit would start softening their hearts. Next thing is listen. Listen to the story. Don't judge them. You know, listen to them. Third thing is eat. Eat with them. Spend time with them. See, the problem with most people in the church is we just spend time with people who are within the family, right? But part of the blessed strategy is to what? Spend time with people. Finally, to serve. Serve them. Look for opportunities to serve them without wanting anything in return. And finally, your story. Be willing to tell them your story when it's appropriate. Meaning, what was your life before what was your life like before you came to know Jesus Christ? Then why did you decide to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And finally, how has your life changed since you were in a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, this is God's story from the beginning after Adam and Eve sinned. He wanted to save mankind. That's his mission. And that's the mission that we are a part of today. This is why it's so important to become more like Christ. Why? Because it supports, it gives us credibility when we tell the unchurched people, this is what God could do in your life. This is how God could change your life. But if there is no change in our lives, 
What kind of credibility do we have? Right? And there were times in my life where if you were to compare my life and their life, they said, it doesn't look like God's made any difference in your life. Why should I want to believe in this God that you believe in? And see, this is why your calling is so important because it validates who God is. It validates God's mission, and we need to be a part of it. It's just like any sports team, right? You know, each team has players that are supposed to play a specific role in winning the game, right? What happens if you have a guy like Shaq saying, you know what? I don't want to play center. I want to play point guard. I want to handle the ball. You know, let somebody else, you know, do the dirty work down low. That's not going to work. I said, dude, you're a center. You can't even handle the ball. What are you thinking? You know, what are you doing taking three-point shots? You know, well, that's not his role. But that's the same thing for us. God has a plan for us. And if we do what we want to do, if we are a center that wants to dribble a ball, if we are a center like Shaq who wants to uh, shoot three-point shots, hey, we're not going to be, God's team is not going to be that effective. We can't do what we want to do. God has gifted each one of us uniquely to play a role on what? His team to accomplish who? His mission. But I can guarantee you this. If you choose to follow God's plan for your life, if you choose to live out God's calling in your life, that is absolutely the best way to live your life. And I'm hoping that you young people could learn from that and not having to go through the mistakes I did in order to figure that out. But you know it's true. What's our weekly challenge? Well, I want us to read Matthew 28, 18 to 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, Ezekiel 3, 17 through 19, 2 Peter 3, 9 this week. You know, at least meditate on those scriptures. Ask the Holy Spirit, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to speak to me through your word? And then it says, how are you using your unique gifting to fit into God's plan for this world? Are you using your skill set? Are you using your gifting to accomplish what you want? Or are you using your unique abilities, skill sets, and passion to do what you believe God's plan for you is? And finally, um, practice one element of blessed this week. If it's to pray for people every day, you know, pray for them. If you could be, if you could listen to somebody who is going through a difficult time, listen to them. You know, just hang out with somebody who doesn't know the gospel message or, or find a way to serve them. Just look for opportunities to serve them. And finally, if God gives you the opportunity to tell your story about how Jesus changed your life, tell them. You know, worship team, could you please come forward and let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you've given each one of us the ability to choose your plan for our lives. And Father, as I look back at my life, I could just see your plan for my life is just so perfect. That Father, the things that I was able to experience 
the joys I was able to experience, the satisfaction, and just the passion that I had for living life all came from following you and you alone. And when I wanted to do what I wanted to do for my own personal reasons, I thought it would make me happy, but it never did. And so if you're sitting here right now, and you're kind of trying to think about what my future is going to be like. And yes, it could be scary trusting God because you don't know where he's going to call you. But I could guarantee you that if you trust God and do not lean on your own understanding, he will make your path straight. So take a few moments right now just to reflect on that. What drives you right now? What's driving you right now? Gracious Heavenly Father, I know that we all struggle with following your plan for us because there's fear. But Father, the plans that you have for us, Father, you don't want to harm us. Father, you want to give us hope and you want to prosper us. So Father, I pray that whoever's struggling here this morning with that, that they would make that decision today. Well, I'm going to follow your plan. God, I'm going to trust you. I may not know where it leads me, but Father, I know that your plan is the best for me. And I want to participate in your mission and not my mission. I want to use my gifts that you have given me to further your mission and not my own desires. And I pray that as you sit here today, that you make that choice because there is no better way to live your life. God, I thank you so much that you desire nothing but the best for us. And Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to follow you so that we could experience you in in new ways, in exciting ways, ways that give us life ways that energize us, ways that give us the joy, your joy. Thank you, Father, for allowing us or giving us the opportunity to participate in your grand plan of bringing people back to you, to be in the ministry of reconciliation because that's how much you love each one of us. I just can't thank you so much for that wonderful plan that you have for each one of us. May we have the courage this week to start following that path. In your son's name, we pray. Amen.